I've always dreamt about becoming a dad. I know the little moments like teaching them their ABCs, running them to soccer practice, or helping them pick out their prom outfits are going to bring me a whole lot of joy. I'm also ready for the challenging moments like sleepless nights, preteen outburst, and difficult growing up conversations. One thing that I'm not quite sure I'm ready for, the cost of children. I was reading a survey and apparently the average cost of raising a child from zero to 18 years old in the United States is $237,000. And I'm not even quite sure I would be on the low end of that average. I do agree with Maya Korbik, our guest for today's episode, that you can't put a price on love that you'll have for your children. But the financial impact has to at least be considered in your decision-making process. How much does a pregnancy cost? What financial milestones should I accomplish before having a child? Can I realistically afford to take care of a child right now? These are all questions that will be answered in today's episode. As I mentioned, we'll be talking to Maya Korbik. She is the creator behind the popular Instagram page, teach.kids.money, where she is helping parents raise financially savvy children. She is also the author of From Piggy Bank to Stocks, The Ultimate Guide for a Young Investor, where she introduces children and honestly parents to the exciting world of investing. This is a great episode for anyone considering parenthood or also soon-to-be parents as we discuss a lot of early childhood cost-saving tips. Let's get into it. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the first-gen immigrant, CPA, and energetic mom of two, Maya Korbik. You know those moments where you think, I wish I would have learned this in school? Those are the topics that we love to talk about. Join me each week as I interview experts sharing their strategies for solving problems that us young adults will face throughout our 20s and 30s. So what are you waiting for? If you want new episodes about adulting advice every Monday, hit that follow button. So Maya, I'm excited to have you on the podcast. We are going to explore a topic that I, maybe we've touched on this topic a little bit, but I don't know if we're going to, we, we've ever flushed it out as much as I think we're going to flush this out, this topic out today. And that is the the cost of having children. Um, we have a lot of listeners that are either very young parents or considering parenthood right now. And I was reading some stats before this. Uh, it, it's no surprise here in America that a lot of people are delaying or even foregoing having children. And I think there could be a lot of different reasons for that, but a major one that's cited is the financial impact of child-related costs. People just can't afford to have kids anymore. This article that I was reading, it stated that raising a child from birth to, to the age of 18 now costs on average $237,000 in the United States, which is just like an insane amount of money for some people, most people, I'm pretty sure the average 401k balance is less than that. So you spend more on kids than you do on your, you know, saving for your own retirement. Have you read any similar surveys? And then uh, through your own just personal experience, do you find this this number to be relatively true? Yeah, and I think we must have read the same survey because I uh, I read that one as well, and uh, I also read some other ones that actually suggest that that number can even be higher depending on um, the family income. So um, this other study that I read uh, basically said that the higher the family income, the more money they feel pressured to spend on their kids because you know they are maybe living in a certain neighborhood where everybody's kids go to certain activities. So it's that whole like keeping with Jonas's, I guess, yeah. effect. 
because of course you want the best for your children, right? Like you see all these other kids doing these amazing activities. You want that for your kids too. Um, and then I was reading that also, um, depending on where you live, whether you live in urban or rural areas, that can impact the cost of the child, you know, of your children as well, because you have to pay for food and accommodation. And both of those are more expensive in the urban areas. Yeah, I definitely think, of course, this is a generalized number and and raising kids in San Diego versus raising kids in the middle of Arkansas probably have a little bit different cost factor involved, but, you know, food, childcare, clothing, housing, all of that. But it's these other things that you're talking about as well that we don't even think about you know, extracurricular activities, advanced schooling, family vacations, stuff like that really adds up. And and I can understand and kind of see why people are hesitant on, on bringing kids into their own family, especially 20-somethings who are kind of already struggling with student loan debt and trying to save for their own house and all the other pressures of keeping up with the Joneses as well. Um, so it's it's no surprise. With that in mind, do you feel like there's any financial milestones that that 20 somethings should consider hitting before they really become parents? And I, I feel like that's probably a loaded question, but curious to know your response on this. Well, I definitely think that it would be so much easier as somebody who decides to become a parent has their debt paid off, you know, or at least under control or has a debt repayment plan so that you that's just one less thing to worry about. Uh, I would say another financial milestone would be figuring out your housing. It doesn't have to be, I don't really believe that everybody should own a house. I mean, we bought our first home before we had kids, but it was affordable back then. And I'm talking like this was 20 years ago and, you know, costs of real estate uh, were a lot cheaper. And so it made sense. But whether that's a home or you're deciding to rent, it just needs to make financial sense and you really need to, again, have a plan. If you want to have kids, it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to rent. This is approximately what that's going to cost each year. And then also there's usually, you know, like a set percentage by how much this rent can approximately increase. So you can do some projections and then see, you know, what that cost is going to be like when you have kids. Another thing to keep in mind is that once you have children, as they get older, they may require their own bedroom, right? So now you're expanding. Uh, your housing cost is a lot higher than it used to be. So that's definitely something to consider. Yeah, I like your initial thought there with at least um, getting control of debt, especially uh, high interest rate debt, you know, carrying credit card debt, maybe even student loans um, to an extent. It might be worth delaying childcare cost in order for you and your your partner to continue to kind of chip away on that because bringing somebody else into the family, of course, is, is got to just add to some of the reoccurring expenses. And if you're already struggling to keep up with some of these ongoing credit expenses that you have, like your, your mortgage costs, your student loans, your credit card debt, then there might be some consideration there that maybe you're not quite financially ready to have kids. What about family finance items to prep for before like a child arrives? Like I'm guessing life insurance should probably be now considered since somebody else is depending on you like a child and, and maybe even putting together a will. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And actually, I just want to mention before that, just to your point about, you know, chipping away at debt. When you're young and you don't have children, it's so much easier to have side hustles. 
So I, I know people are struggling and I know life is busy and I know you're young and you want to enjoy your life, but maybe there's a hobby that you do that you could turn into a side hustle to actually earn that extra income to chip away at that debt. Hmm. Because I can tell you that once you have kids, that time, that free time is just... I wouldn't say it's completely gone, but especially at the beginning, it really is because they're so tiny and they really, really need you. And there will be less time for things like side hustles. So that's just one thing that I would suggest that, you know, if, if you're thinking of actually putting in some extra income, whether it's into your investing accounts or chipping away at debt, then do that. But in terms of these other things, for sure, like creating a will. And I really believe that whether you have kids or not, you should have a will uh, because my understanding is that I'm not a lawyer, but by speaking with a lot of lawyers and I've interviewed them for my Instagram account, a lot of them say that if you don't have a will, uh, your estate ends up in the, like it's not as easily distributed to your loved ones. Like it actually goes through the probate. Mm -hmm. So it goes through the courts and there is, you know, it could be, the whole process can be held up. You know, it's just better to, like if you don't have a plan, the state has a plan for your yeah. for your belongings, right? So you actually want to have a will regardless of whether or not you have kids. And again, same thing with life insurance too. You know, if you have uh, somebody in your life who cares about you and depends on you, I suggest that you get a life insurance. Even if you have pets, you know, you want those pets taken care of. And you want, you know, you want to have a plan for, you know, God forbid something happens to you that, you know, these pets will go somewhere. Somebody will take care of them. There will be money for them uh, to be taken care of. I would also suggest that, you know, for parents, future parents to research childcare expenses, uh, because again, like that article that we both read, I think it talked about uh, differences in expenses from different states. I believe Hawaii was the most expensive primarily because the food and accommodation was really expensive. Uh, and the South was, South of the United States was a little bit cheaper. So you need to like really understand, okay, how much are things going to cost? Understand your parental leave benefits, you know, talk to your employer or HR and understand what those are. You may also want to open up an investment account for your child, and we can explore that a little bit further, but uh, you can even open up 529 account for yourself right now as a beneficiary. And then once you actually have a child, you can change the beneficiary from you onto your child. So you can yeah. start investing into that 529 account right now and build it up because you know the time is in your favor and you want to take advantage of the long time horizon that you have ahead. So... It's the time and the compound interest that do the heavy lifting of the wealth creation. You want to understand the tax benefits that you will qualify for, like once you have kids, because there are some tax benefits. If you have friends that already have children, you know, usually they will have hand-me-downs that they will want to get rid of and declutter their homes. So don't be too proud, accept those, because especially when you have babies, they will go through clothes really, really quickly because they're growing quickly, right? <laughs> like every insane. month or so you're buying new clothes, right? So those hand-me-downs can be I, great. I remember my shoes, like all, you know, all through my childhood. It, it was like every year on my birthday, it's like, you might as well get me new shoes. And it's like, cause I'm growing up a size regard if I, maybe I already ran through them and maybe it was because I'm like, they're too small for me now, but the amount of shoes my parents had to buy just because I sim my, my foot simply grew 
is craziness to me compared to now I like buy a shoe and I'm like, okay, I could, if I take care of this, like I could have this for a long time. Then it was like, I might have this for the next six months. I have no idea. <laughs> you also mentioned, well, there's a lot of things I want to double back to. Uh, I'll pause on 529s because I think we're going to open up a pretty big conversation about that near the end of this conversation. But I, I do want to talk about cost saving strategies and especially early on because I'm guessing a lot of the cost of having a child might be front loaded. Uh, maybe I actually, I don't know if I entirely agree with that because I'm guessing there are a lot of things later on in life too that that cost a lot more money. But I'm I'm imagining, uh, you know, pregnancy for sure, um, but also all of the the you know early costs you have to um, absorb with raising a child, the the car seats and the the clothes that they go through and the toys and all of that things. How do you even go about? estimating some of that cost, especially like the pregnancy things and, and some of these early costs. Like for me, I don't even know if I would know how much money do I need to save for? Like if I want to prep for having a kid, like how much should I save for? And how do I actually like realistically think through like, oh, a pregnancy has got to cost this and all of these other random things that I never thought about are also got to cost this amount. Do you remember early on what you did or, or did you just well, kind of charge on and, and pay for things as they, as they came? To be honest, I think we, we just did that. We were a little <laughs> bit like kind of, I would say we were young and stupid probably and just had more <laughs> luck than anything. But, you know, one thing that I would suggest that everybody does also is check their medical insurance mm -hmm. and understand how would that impact uh, their financial position. And also remember to change their medical insurance when that child is born, right? Mm -hmm. So that medical insurance can help pay for some of those expenses, uh, especially the costs of, you know, the pregnancy doctor visits and things like that. And it's really hard to estimate how much things will cost, but that's the reason why they have baby showers, right? Uh, <laughs> and when you have that baby shower, the idea is that everybody will pitch in and try to help and, you know, pay for some of the big things that you need. Maybe, you know, you'll have a group of friends like Instead of one friend buying you a stroller, which can be really expensive, maybe you're going to have five friends pitch in and buy you a stroller. And the idea is that it, it kind of goes around, right? This time, your friends did it for you. Next time, you will all do it for another friend. And then after that, you're going to do it for another friend. And it just really, really helps that way. So, you know, I mean, you can really spend a lot of money. And it's like you have fiats of... Uh, strollers and you have BMWs of strollers, like which one do you want, right? And of course, you know, because it's your baby, you want the best one, right? Like, Definitely. I mean, my husband and, you know, I am very, very price conscious. And my husband has a story when we were shopping for bedding for our son and I wanted this special bedding from Pottery Barn. And he said, I looked possessed <laughs> because they did not have it anymore. And I was determined that I was going to have it. So I made him go to every different Pottery Barn because, you know, internet wasn't what it is now, that where you could just check on your phone what, who has this in their supply. And it was pottery bond. It was so expensive, too. I don't know what I was thinking, but I was like, it's our first child. It has to, my, our child has to have the best stuff, right? You know, you're hormonal and you just have to kind of keep things in check and be like, okay, like, how about Toys R Us bedding? It's <laughs> going to do just fine. It's 100% cotton. It's not the best cotton, Egyptian cotton, like the one that, Pottery Barn carries, but my baby will be fine, right? <laughs> so again, there are some things that you can buy secondhand. I wouldn't recommend doing that for, let's say, car seats, because car seats, they say that if they've ever been in a car accident, you don't know if they're actually, if they go into the second car accident, 
you don't know if they're going to perform as well as they should. So car seats, I would definitely recommend buying you. But then again, you've got BMWs of car seats. And again, this was another one where I was like, we have to have the best because it's safety, right? So, okay, for that one, probably you should have the best you possibly can afford, right? And maybe this is something you can put on your baby shower. But it's really hard to determine how much things would cost. So I would say, you know, there there are goodwills. There are a lot of these places where they actually sell secondhand things for kids that you can buy ahead of time. And, you know, you can buy the crib that's secondhand, but you can just buy a brand new mattress, right? Mm -hmm. Because you don't want your baby sleeping on a mattress where somebody else has slept, which is okay too. It's nothing, nothing against that. You disinfect it, you put the mattress protector on it and it's fine. You know, I always like to think about, because I come from Bosnia and, you know, I always like to think about developing world and what people have to do to, to raise kids over there. I mean, some of these kids, they sleep on dirt floors, you know, so... Uh, my my child sleeping on a used mattress that was disinfected and has a mattress protector on it. Well, you know what? It's not such a big deal. Like, yeah. let's let's be honest, right? So, but it's hard. It's really hard when you're hormonal and you just want the best for your kid. That's totally fair. And and I totally see that. So my brother and I, we do some, we side hustle and do some flipping on on Facebook Marketplace. And honestly, the things that are always the best are child items. A, because they're insanely expensive new and uh, parents that can't afford it typically go secondhand to buy some of these things. And then B, parents will usually spend on their child before they spend spend on themselves. And they'll go out there and they'll get the, the things that they need in order to make sure their child's okay. Um, so we very rarely struggle with with reselling uh, childcare stuff. And and yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And I like it because it's usually a win-win because I can help somebody uh, find something that's way, way more affordable than um, what they would buy new, which sometimes can be insanely expensive. But I also liked your idea on just asking some of your friends who may be further along in their journey, if they have any hand-me-downs that they can offer you. Because like, especially clothes, like, holy cow, the amount of, like, I grew up, my mom babysits, um, so zero through fives, I'm very, very comfortable and common with them. I, you know, I've had a hundred of them come through my life because my mom always babysat and they were always around. And their clothes by the end of every day, they, it was just disgusting, <laughs> either because they were playing or they threw up on their clothes or whatever. Like for me, especially at that age, I probably wouldn't give as much consideration to to clothes. Maybe a nice outfit here and there if I'm bringing my child out. But if not, they're, they're getting the hand-me-down clothes. <laughs> yeah, and they grow out of it so quickly that it's, you know, you're replacing that in a couple of months. Yeah. Any other... Um, tips on kind of how to stretch a dollar, especially for for young parents and some of the things that, you know, they're going to have to pay for. Do you have any childcare tips by chance? Because I know that's a huge mega bomb that's out there that is really hard to plan for. Yeah. The childcare, I mean, I obviously like if you can afford to have one parent stay at home, that's, mm -hmm. that's the best, I guess. Or, I mean, actually I shouldn't say that. I, I'm going to scratch that because I could have afforded to stay at home, but I just, I really needed I, I'm one of those people, like I love my kids, but I also need to be out there working. Like I, I just, I'm just not really good at stay-at-home mom. But um, in terms of, you know, childcare, there are, people do different kinds of things. I mean, if you, you know, if you have parents who are retired, who can help out, that's a blessing. That mm. really is a blessing because you know that they will take care of your child very well. 
I've also had a lot of friends that have hired Filipino nannies. Those are really popular here in Canada. I'm not sure how they are in the States. I, it's funny, actually, you know, a lot of us, you know, we have this uh, psychological hangup, some, some psychological hangups, like how we were brought up. So I just remember that like when I was growing up, my mom worked and I was in daycare. And so to me, that was the only way to bring up kids. But really, mm -hmm. like once I've had my children and I've seen how other people have raised their children, you know, there are many different ways how you can successfully raise your kids, right? So some of them is like a mom can be at home. I have some friends that were stay-at-home moms and they've done a wonderful job raising their kids. And that really worked for them because they didn't have to pay for childcare and they were able to manage their household budget and they saved, overall saved so much money for that family. I've seen friends who engage their retired parents, you know, his parents were retired, her parents were retired, so they kind of split up the week. So, you know, one set of parents, grandparents was babysitting two days a week, another grand set of grandparents was babysitting three days a week. I also have friends who've done Filipino nanny thing and they literally had a house with a basement that was unused. And so the Filipino nanny was living there. And like they had a contract where she was like, actually, when she was not watching the kids, she would clean and cook for the family. Mm. And she would get to stay there. So she had paid room and board and, and her food was paid for. And I think they paid her. I, I forget how much they paid her, but it was very, very economical. And I mean, that, this was some 16 years ago, so I don't know if things have changed, but we have a lot of Filipino nannies here and a lot of them come from Philippines to do this kind of work. Yeah. Uh, so that also works out a lot better apparently than, you know, or a lot cheaper than having your child in daycare. Yeah, I think um, the live-in nanny situations are becoming even popular with, with people that want to expat somewhere or they, you know, like a, I have... I've had a friend that that was a live-in nanny in Australia. She's from the States. She just wanted to live in Australia for a little bit. She uh, worked out a deal with the family there as a live-in nanny, and it was great. She got to experience the country, and she made some money and didn't really spend a whole lot because she was a live-in nanny. She had her room and board paid for there. Um, they paid for her meals too. And she got to go on like a bunch of cool excursions because when the family traveled on family vacations, they would bring her along. And she was kind of built there as a, a you know babysitter or a nanny whenever the parents wanted to go run out and do things during vacation. But oftentimes too, they would spend time with their family and she got to go hang out and see a new city in Australia. So I think it's becoming pretty popular with in the the you know travel hacking community as well. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah, I did not know that. I only know of Filipino nannies just because around <laughs> me everybody had Filipino nannies. And I know that they actually have there are organizations that only hire yep. Filipino nannies, and then these ladies, I know they work in Canada, so I'm assuming that they would probably be working in the U.S. as well. Yeah. So what about the benefits of children? We talked a little bit about some of the 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 tax credits, and you mentioned that, and I know we can't really get too deep into that because it's so personal for everybody. Everyone's situation, unique situation, depending on where they live, kind of depends on some of the unique credits, but just from the onset, definitely go look or, or talk to your your tax, your accountant or your tax advisor on what it looks like from a tax benefit standpoint whenever bringing a kid in here. But there are a lot of like cool investment accounts that get unlocked whenever you have a kid. And we have a community that's all about investing. This is a really engaged community. So I know they're going to be really engaged about investing for their, their child as well. One popular one you brought up is the 529. Can you talk just high level uh, on what a 529 is and, and kind of any other accounts that maybe someone should consider doing a little bit further research in in case they are thinking about investing for their child's future? 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So 529 plan is, um, as many of you know, it's an educational uh, savings plan or investing plan. And as I said, like a lot of people in the financial literacy space that don't have kids yet, I know they have opened one up. So essentially when you open it up, you are the custodian for it. And then you choose your own beneficiary. A lot of them that have opened this account and yet they don't have kids, um, they have chosen themselves as the beneficiary. So when their child is born, they will change themselves from, from the, the account beneficiary from themselves to their child. I think the beautiful thing is like, you know, even if your child does not go to, to, let's say, college, if you have more than one child, you can always change the beneficiary to your second child or you can change it back to yourself or your grandkids. Mm. Um, but recently a new law was passed that a certain amount of money that is accumulated in that account over a long period of time can also be transferred into a child's Roth IRA if they decide not to go to college, which is really beneficial because a lot of people were not investing in this account because they were worried that their child will not be going to college. So they just thought just that fair. money was lost, right? So the money's not lost. It can be transferred into their Roth IRA, which is fantastic. And the Roth IRA or custodial Roth IRA would be another account that you could open up for your kids. So if you have a side hustle or if you have a business, essentially like you can start, you know, investing into this account on behalf of your child from a very young age. The key with this account is that that money that's invested has to be earned by the child. So a lot of times this account is not used until the kids are teenagers and they start working and then they start investing their money into that account. But why? the reason why I said, you know, if you have a side hustle, if you have a business, you can start using it earlier is because a lot of business owners, they hire their child to work for them and they pay them a fair wage and then they invest that money into custodial Roth IRA. So what I mean by hiring your child even if they're a baby and let's say you have a business, you can hire your child to model for your business. Yeah. You know, they can do promotions for you. You can put them up on an ad, like their picture on an ad. And there's actually a proper way to do this. So again, like this is something to discuss with your tax accountant because you have to write up a job description. Um, you have to keep track of the hours that they're working. You have to comply with the labor, child labor laws in the state that you live in. And you have to... Um, Again, like, you know, pay them whatever the fair wage is for that job. And it can actually serve as a tax saving strategy for your business too, because whatever it is that you pay to your child, you can deduct from your business as an expense, which so makes fun. your income a lot lower and you're paying less tax. But if you pay your child just a, a bare minimum, like the minimum that's non-taxable, then they are not paying taxes. Now they're investing this money. Uh, very early. They have all this like long time horizon ahead of them. And they keep doing this year after year after year. And they can become millionaires a lot quicker than they would have if they, you know, had they started investing into this account later. So I absolutely love custodial Roth IRAs. I wish we had them in Canada. We don't. And I feel like I need to lobby the government uh, <laughs> to do this. But it's, you know, if you have a, a business and you have kids, this is uh, probably my favorite account. Yeah. Yeah. I that's what we're here for. These these are the fun little money hacks. Even as like a non-parent, these are the things that I love to geek out and learn a ton about. I remember I was doing an episode, it was a while back, probably 50 episodes ago. I think it was episode 49. So maybe even more than that. Uh, I did stu I did a student loan um, episode and I got to like deep dive and learn a ton about student loans. And it was like so much fun. This is the 
the personal finance geek that that's coming out in me. This is another area that I'm thinking about as soon as I I rip off the bandaid and probably have a whole episode all about custodial IRAs for your child. Like yeah, this is going to be something I just enjoy doing a ton of deep research on. Um, but I like that. So 529s, custodial accounts, those are two places. If you're thinking about investing for your child, go do some more research on those. Is that pretty fair to assume? Yeah. And then there's UTMA. You can also invest your money on behalf of your child into UTMA. I mean, even if you have nieces or nephews, you can set them up. Let's say if you want to do something nice for them, instead of just giving them toys, you can actually invest money. You can open up this account for them as beneficiary and you are custodial for this account. And when they become of age, uh, so sometimes that's between ages of 18 or 21, depending on the state that they live in, uh, they, then they would take the ownership of that account. And then they would hopefully do something smart with that money rather than just spend it, right? Fair. Maya, as we're closing out this conversation, I want to end on one other point. And I mean, your mission is all about helping parents teach their children about money and you want to make sure that every child has access to financial literacy. Uh, and usually that does start at the household and, and it starts from the parents wanting to be really engaged and help teach their kid about money, especially early on, and also demonstrate the, the, right, the right actions in that. But I, I've heard you mention multiple times that before parents start teaching their kids about money, they need to independently discuss their family values. So the partners need to come together and really decide and, and give some thought to what are their, their family values because a lot of that translates into what teaching your kids about money is actually gonna look like. So can you kind of talk through like what does that realistically look like to discuss your family values and how would that apply to a decision like giving your kids allowance, to give your kids allowance or to not give your kids allowance? Yeah, so I always talk about there are certain basic steps that we need to take before teaching kids about money. And even before the values, I think the big one is to reflect upon our own money mindset that we mm -hmm. grew up in, grew up with. And a lot of times, you know, we're not even aware of what our money mindset is. So it's really important to understand that because we can inadvertently pass that on to our children. And, you know, sometimes, you know, for example, for me, because I'm the first generation immigrant, um, I struggled. My family lived in government shelters and housing. My first inclination is to just preserve the money, not spend it, you know, and I don't want to pass that mindset of scarcity onto my kids. So I have to be very mindful and very careful what I say to my children. And so a lot of times I suggest for parents to think about uh, their own childhood and growing up, like what did they see with respect of money when they were growing up? What did they hear about money when they were growing up? What did they feel? What kind of emotions did they feel about money when they were growing up? Did they feel, you know, did their parents argue about money? Because sometimes they can associate money with strife and they may not want to discuss money with their partner or even with their child as the child is growing up. And I firmly believe that money should not be taboo, that we really need to be talking about it yes. openly. So those are all the things to be aware of. And I feel like even for me, and I've been doing this for over a decade, I'm still struggling with some of these things. And um, I have to be very careful what I say in front of my children. And sometimes I will say things and then, you know, I will follow up with them and be like, oh, you know what? Maybe that wasn't the best decision. This is maybe how I should have done things, right? Uh, but once we look at our own money mindset, then we can come together as a couple and really talk about 
okay, what is important to each of us uh, that we want to teach our kids about money? And maybe one of the exercises that I do in some of my workshops is to have parents kind of go into opposite corners for five minutes and write down, let's say, different values that are important to them and why they're important. And I actually have this workbook, which is part of my uh, online course. So uh, uh, essentially what they do is like they go away for five minutes, they fill out this workbook, and then they come together and they compare their answers. And usually where they disagree, those are the gold, I guess, the, the golden points that they should be, you know, discussing. And this is where they need to come to an agreement so that they can, you know, together be on the same page when it comes to teaching their kids about money. So when it comes to values, you know, maybe one parent is very much about, you know, giving and donating. And the other partner is just like, you know what, that's, it's okay. It's not my number one goal. Like, I don't really care whether or not we teach our kids about that, but I just want to make sure that we teach them about wealth preservation and that, that you know, they grow their wealth and, you know, there is eventually generational wealth transfer onto our grandkids, right? That's more important to me than donating money. So it's about having these conversations because as a parent, you know, your kids can sense when you're not on the same page and they will use one parent against another. Uh, so you have to be very, very careful when it comes to that. And Maya, this was um enlightening conversation. I don't know if I feel better about <laughs> potentially having kids or feel worse. <laughs> I know it's got to be expensive, but I know there are lots of ways to to a minimize those expenses, but but also um the joy that you can get from from passing along such like important financial wisdom and insights and values to your kids is is really cool and amazing. It's it's I mean, I even see it in my own family and my my girlfriend's family too. Both of our our grandparents grew up very, very poor, and I could tell how that kind of shaped our our own parents, but our parents did the best they could, and they also really set up for us up for success. My dad was so open and, and honest about money conversations. He never really taught us about investing. I don't think that was really his forte, um, but he always taught us about saving and paying yourself first and taking care of your financial assets and you know wealth accumulation and working hard to get money and make money. So it's really cool things like that, that he passed along to me. And then kind of like you talked about, there are some other things like scarcity mindset that I'm looking, that I'm working to to kind of work through right now and to not pass along to the next generation that I have. But this is just a kind of a fun thing to think about and to to move from student to teacher one day and in terms of uh, money is a, is a really cool thought. Yeah. And I just want to add one other thing, uh, which I did not mention, but I think this may be helpful. You know, it's really also important to look into free programs. You know, there are a lot of libraries out there and non-for-profit organizations that have tons of free programs for kids, free books. And, you know, you can actually save a lot of money by utilizing those free programs. And there are a lot, also a lot of um, the free online programs as well. I know that people nowadays after COVID, they would, a lot of them would prefer like, you know, in person, but you know, there's just a lot out there that you could be doing and you don't have to spend a lot of money. And um, I guess lastly, I just want to leave everybody with, I remember, you know, when we were deciding whether or not we're going to have our third child and we ended up with two only. And it wasn't because of the cost. It was just more that it was hard, right? <laughs> like we had kids that are, our kids are 21 months apart. And I just remember actually for the third child, I did put down on paper a lot of things. And 
I was like, you know, how much is it going to cost? And like all this and that. And I remember like thinking also about how the world is really made for a family of four because the third child, let's say we like to travel a lot. And so we would always have to book an extra room for, you know, if we traveled, like if it was five of us or like a bigger car or, and so there were all these things. And I said to my husband, I remember turning to him, I said, well, by looking at this, there's like more negatives than positive. I'm like, the only positive is this is a living human being that I know we're going to love at our hearts and no money can ever, ever like, you know, make up for the love that we're going to get. Right. And when I think of my two children, I have spent so much money on them. And so many times I would buy them things that I would never buy myself. And even to this day, I spend, we spend way more money on our kids than we do on ourselves. But the love that you get and the joy, and I don't know, we're just like living through them, every success. Like they're literally, I think they're just coming from school right now and I can't wait to go downstairs and talk to them about their day. And I mean, money is just a side thing. If you yeah. want kids, they're totally worth it. Money, I don't know, it's gonna come. You're gonna figure it out. But yeah, they're worth it. They're, you know, they can be pain. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> And they will drive you nuts sometimes, but they're just like, I would say one of the best things that have happened to both of us, to me and my, my husband. That's cool. Yeah. Mic drop moment there. <laughs> so folks, if you want to go check out Maya, she's got a very active Instagram page where she shares a lot of advice and wisdom to, to, to parents and, and, and children about raising financially savvy kids. Um, and that's teach.kids.money. Once again, that's teach.kids.money. And Maya, you also have a new book that's out as well. You want to share a little bit about the book and, and where people can find it? Yeah, sure. So it, the book is called From Piggy Banks to Stocks, The Ultimate Guide for a Young Investor. So it is a great stocking stuffer or I don't know when this will be published, but it's a great gift for any nieces or nephews that you have. But also it's a great book for anybody who wants to learn basics of investing because when I was actually writing this book, I had some testers. Uh, those were the families, so parents and children that were going through the book. And it was actually the parents that were getting back to me with feedback, how happy they were to read that book mm -hmm. and feel less intimidated by investing. So if you're looking for one of those books that is kind of like from the dummy series, but just super friendly, very colorful, that explains complex um, investment topics like dividends and capital gains and whatnot, uh, in a language that a 10-year-old can understand, this is also a great book for um, adults as well. <laughs> That's awesome. And we'll have links to the show notes, uh, assuming they can find that on Amazon. Is that correct? Uh, yes, it, it's on Amazon and any other um, bookstore, major bookstore online. Cool. My, my final question for you, if you had the opportunity to teach a 16-week class to a group of graduating college seniors on a topic that isn't covered in the classroom, what would you teach and how would you teach it? Oh my goodness, I would definitely teach the basics of uh, financial literacy, starting with what your dad taught you, mm -hmm. you know, paying yourself first, taking care of your assets. Um, I feel like this is one thing that we should be teaching all of our graduating college yeah. classes. I have friends who are doctors and dentists, and they say to me that this is one class that they wish they took in college and they never did. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they're, they're struggling. Like these are smart people and, uh, yet they're having very hard time with their finances. Yeah. Yeah. Without getting on a soapbox, just the, the lack of personal finance curriculum compared to the importance that 
it has on our lives kind of post-education is just absurd to me. So yes, I think that'd be a very, very useful class. So once again, Maya Korbik, Maya, this was such a blast. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy that we did this. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the episode. As always, I appreciate your kind words. If you want to leave us a rating and review on your podcast player right now, that would absolutely make my day. If you want to find episode show notes, our blog, and other great resources, head over to tsirpodcast.com. If you have follow-up questions, an idea for a future episode, or just want to say hi, we have a contact form on our website and those messages go straight into my inbox and I promise you, I will reply. But all right, guys, I really appreciate you tuning in. I love you all and you're not alone. Let's keep making it through our struggles together.